something like SoulCycle has the potential, if that has the potential to really transform people as humans, as like a community, then this tradition that I've been a part of my whole life and that has existed on this planet for over 2000 years and, and remained strong and vibrant, like this surely must offer more. If I asked you what Soul Cycle and Synagogue have in common, you might look at me like I am crazy. One is a dark candlelit room with loud music and a room full of sweaty people moving in unison to the beat of the music. And while the other also involves music sometimes, it's more pews and prayers and your fanciest clothing. So what do these seemingly random experiences actually share in common? Hi, my name is Shaked Karabelnikov, and you're listening to The Sprout Podcast. Hear me out on this one. What Soul Cycle and Synagogue share are the same outcome. When both are done properly, with intention that is, you should walk out with a reinforced sense of connection and community. A spark that makes you want to come back, that makes you feel good, more whole, and eventually even transformed. Well, the idea that Judaism, an ancient tradition filled with wisdom, can be applied to modern living in a way that can be as transformational as soul cycle is one of the realizations that set today's guest on the path to becoming a rabbi. Sammy Cantor is a rabbinical student on a mission to find out why Judaism is relevant in this day and age. In today's episode, we discuss how we can all own our Judaism and make it feel authentic to who we are. Sammy shares tips for someone who might be struggling to connect and how he's actually taking his outreach to thousands of people on TikTok. I am so honored to chat with him in this episode. So without further ado, here he is. Sammy Cantor is a third-year rabbinical student at Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion in Los Angeles, where he is also a Weizmann Fellow with the American Joint Distribution Committee and the rabbinic intern at ECAR. He also has a certificate in nonprofit management from the Zalico School at HUC. Prior to his studies, Sammy was the director of the Selma and Lawrence Rubin Center for 20s and 30s and out at the J programs at Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan. Before that role, he brought to life the Becker Center for Networking and Mentoring at the Jewish Federation of Cincinnati. A published writer, his opinion pieces have appeared in The Forward, Jerusalem Post, Cincinnati Inquirer, and eJewishPhilanthropy.com. With a background in theater, he most notably was the operations director of the largest multicultural festival in North America, the New York International Fringe Festival. Sammy holds a BS in journalism from the Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University. In his free time, you can find him teaching indoor cycling, singing show tunes, or catching up on podcasts. I'm so thrilled to have you on the podcast, Sammy. Welcome to the show. Yes, I'm thrilled to be here. It's, it's so fun the way that we met um, online, and, and I think I'm, I'm excited to, to be a part of this. So thank you for having me. I know. Thank God for the online world. I'm excited to uh, tell listeners more about that. But first things first, tell us about you. Who are you? Who is Sammy Cantor? I always start, I'm born and raised in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I have a lot of deep roots in Cincinnati. All of my family is from there. And I grew up very engaged in um, the Jewish community in Cincinnati. My family was very involved um, and also very involved in the theater 
world as well. Um, and when I went off to college, I decided first I wanted, I first went for journalism, but then ultimately I decided I wanted to be a theater producer. And I spent a few years after college trying to produce theater, various Broadway, off-Broadway, and also like fringy type stuff in Ohio. Oh, wow. And, um, ultimately, and it was a great experience. I had a great time, but ultimately I was looking for something more fulfilling and more, more meaningful and that could build community in a stronger way. And uh, I started kind of being pulled back to Judaism and Jewish community in ways that I hadn't thought about as an adult. Um, and, and that ultimately one thing led to another and, and ultimately, ultimately led to me going to rabbinical school where I am now. That's so cool. I feel like it's such a common experience, at least for myself. I also grew up in the Jewish community and you like hate Hebrew school and bat mitzvah studies and all these things when you're young. And I thought Judaism was just like, honestly, the most boring thing. Like I liked, I loved being Jewish, but I wasn't interested in like the religious Judaism aspect of it. And then as I get older, I find myself realizing, wait, there is so much more to this. And now I think Judaism is the coolest thing and it's the most fulfilling and inspiring tradition. I I agree. And I I think it's funny that a lot of people have experiences growing up, maybe, you know, with a negative experience at Hebrew school or thinking synagogue and services are so boring. And, And I was one of those, but I think... And sometimes I like to criticize what happened, like my youth, the Jewish community around me and my youth because of that. But then I look back and think, well, wait a minute, they they succeeded because I eventually came to Judaism on my own, on my own terms, in my own ways. And all of the seeds that were planted in my childhood through Sunday school and bar mitzvah and all these things actually did come to fruition. Uh, yes. I took some time for me to realize it. Um, so I have to be careful when I, when I try to criticize Hebrew school or something like that. Yeah, you're so right. That's so true. It's all of those little seeds that eventually bloomed, eventually sprouted, which is what we try to do on this podcast. So of course I read your article in Forward, the couple articles that you wrote And the main one that just really stuck with me was, I was kicked out of a restaurant in Israel for being gay. It made me more Zionist than ever. So like, okay, that's not something you hear every day. Can you tell me a little bit more about this story and what ultimately made you decide to write such a beautiful piece about your experiences? Yes. Yeah, it was a, it was an, Really, even now, it's hard to comprehend the whole experience that happened. Um, But during my first year of rabbinical school at Hebrew Union College, we all study in Jerusalem. And so I had moved to Jerusalem. It was my first month there. Everything was very new. And I went with some friends to the Jerusalem Pride Parade. And on the day after the parade, there was a pride party somewhere. And I went with some friends and And after the party, we were, it was that, it was on Friday afternoon. And if you know Jerusalem and in a lot of Israel, it's that like moment when everything starts to close and, and Shabbat is settling in, which Mm -hmm. I think is a gorgeous moment. But at that moment, we, we had some enough to drink and we just wanted food. Like we really just wanted some food (laughs) at like four or five o'clock on this Friday afternoon. And 
and we were all, I was wearing a rainbow shirt. Um, and, and we walk in, there were a group of five of us. We walk into this pizza shop on Ben Yehuda. It's called Ben Yehuda too. Not a very uh, descriptive name, but, um, and we walk in and essentially first the guy behind the counter was offering a menu and, and acting normal. And then he took a look at me and he kind of noticed his demeanor change. He noticed something about me, my shirt. And he said, Atahomo. Like, are you gay in Hebrew? And I was just like, yeah, like kind of confused. And then, and then he was just immediately said, get out. <gasps> and, and we all kind of stopped and we were like, what? <laughs> like, like we, it, it, it didn't register. Right. And he was like, get out. And my friend starts kind of arguing, like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? And he's like, get out. And so then we all kind of get a little up in arms. We start yelling. I get out my phone. I want to take pictures. Um, and then someone else comes from that was associated with the shop that was right there. And he kind of comes in, in a, a physically imposing way, you could say. He wasn't chasing us, but he was walking toward us in a way like leave this area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were, it was a, like a, a scary moment at that point as they were yelling at us to get out and he's coming toward us. So we start like running up Ben Yehuda, um, to get away. And then it kind of, all these emotions really started hitting me. Like what just happened? Like, not only was it turned away for being gay and pride weekend, but also like, this is Israel. And this is, I thought that all Jews are supposed to feel welcome here. And, um, mm-hmm. And it was like all this, all this about Israel and my identity all kind of came crashing down. Um, and ultimately, we didn't think anything could be done because we just thought we assumed that things like that happened in Israel. And that was what it was. I mean, especially in the United States, that type of discrimination could happen in many states and and be legal. So right. we just posted on this Facebook group called Secret Jerusalem. Oh, of course. You, you know it? Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which, you know, is like a Facebook group of like a catch-all for you're selling your furniture or like where should you get like falafel, anything. Um, it, it's a huge Facebook group. And, it, yeah. and my friend posted about it. Ten minutes later, he looked at his phone. He's like, oh, my gosh, this post is going viral. Um, and he was getting inundated with messages and wow. comments. And well, eventually, that's interesting. Say, eventually, this post, because it went viral and kind of and it, and there was both good and bad on it like they secret jerusalem like closed the post they didn't take it down wow. but they closed it because it was getting pretty aggressive on there and so then like shabbat came in and and everything was kind of on pause but after shabbat um like i looked on my phone and i had you know lawyers messaging me wanting to go to court wow. and media messaging and and we realized this is, was a bigger deal than than we thought. And um, yeah, and then essentially I went into school on on Sunday, and they said the Israeli Reform Action Center, a religious action center, which is associated with the Reform Movement and HUC, um, they were like, "We want to take this to court. Like, will you come along?" Essentially. Wow. <laughs> and I said yes. Um, and so ultimately, it was a multi-month court process. Um, we ultimately won, uh, and, and they paid like monetary damages, which I ended up donating most of it to, 
LGBTQ charities in Jerusalem and in Israel. Um, but circling back to that article, I think that through that process, I got to meet so many people, activists and queer people and other liberal people that were doing work that that I resonated with and that I found powerful and, and moral and right in Israel that I think, I think sometimes in America or people abroad look at Israel in like a binary of who's good and who's bad and what decisions you agree with and what you don't. And, and I saw that even if I personally don't agree with, with some things the government does in Israel, I saw people who were like me and, and I needed to support and stand with and fight for them as Jews and as people that that were part of like the Am Yisrael that like I stand with. So, so it made me more Zionist than ever. Thank you for sharing that story. That's so nuts. Definitely really eye-opening. And so funny because we we're just saying I covered that Pride Parade for the Jerusalem Post when I interned there that year. And I was also there. And I also found that coming from North America, from Canada, I had a very binary view of Israel before going there. And then when I lived there, even if it was just for a couple of months, everything changed in the way that I saw things and even the way that I speak about Israel. Yeah, it was it was a crazy story. And, and I agree. I mean, I think, you know, being in being in Jerusalem and at that pride parade, one thing that I think was so moving for me were were how many um like visibly religious or orthodox people who were a part of the parade. Mm -hmm. Um I th and I think, I, I think it's easy, and and yeah, it's not it's not a totally accepted idea in the in the Orthodox community by any means. However, I think that going your point about Israelis being different and having different political beliefs and nuances and sexual identities and and gender identities, even if they look a certain way or appear and dress a certain way, is is something that you can only really experience by being there, and it's important to then share, I think, back with North America, especially when in the media, it's sometimes hard to discern those, all those like different identities and, and nuances when it's just a story about politics or whatever it may be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so true that, you know, you have to go there. And that's something I love about HUC, that they, they take you there, they make you be there for a year, and then you come back. And I think that provides for such a special perspective on Judaism and how we practice it. So speaking of which, you are an aspiring rabbi, you're a rabbinical student. So first of all, Yasher Koach to you for that. But really my question is, what inspired you to, to go to Hebrew Union College and become a rabbi? The thing that actually probably the real impetus, although I have to give credit to growing up in the Jewish community and, and opportunities to lead birthright and go to Israel and, and all of these things contributed. However, the real spark came when in I lived in New York City and I would go to Soul Cycle um, a lot, which if you don't know, it's a it's a spin class essentially, but it's a lot more than that. It's a spiritual experience. It's about community. It's about kind of like finding your best self in a way. And I went to Soul Cycle and I started going, I guess. And I just found it to be so spiritual, more spiritual than I'd ever found any Jewish space. Mm. And, and I even started going on 
I had a routine for a while where I would go on Friday nights at like wow. five o'clock. Um, and the teacher I adored, uh, her name is Olivia and I, not to her face, but I used to call her a rabbi Olivia to my friends because <laughs> I felt like she was more spiritual than any rabbi I had, I had ever met. And, and I did that for about a year. And I started thinking about that this is amazing to build community and, and have people access spirituality and even their best selves, maybe even like the divine in some way, but there must be more to it. Like, like it's not grounded in anything. It, it's the business at the end of the day. And so around that same time, I thought maybe I should see if there's any sort of Jewish community or Jewish spirituality that could bring me that same level of spirituality that soul cycle did. And I ended up finding a community called Romamu in New York that I found to be really powerful. And, and it was then the combination of those two things where I thought, you know, something like soul cycle has the potential. If that has the potential to really transform people as humans, as like a community, then this tradition that I've been a part of my whole life and that has existed on this planet for over 2000 years and and remain strong and vibrant like this surely must offer more we just have to figure out how to access it and get that out to people and and so then I thought the best way to do that was really was to go to rabbinical school because you know ultimately I believe rabbis are like the transmitters of our tradition and I honestly felt that I almost felt called to do it because I felt like mm. not any rabbis in my mind were doing what I thought were, were fulfilling the potential that I thought Judaism had. And, and I've always known HUC because I grew up in Cincinnati where one of the campuses is located. And so I ultimately just kind of went for it. And here we are. That is so fascinating. And I, I love that story. It's such a, that's so emblematic of like the modern day Jewish experience I find because I feel like a lot of the time there's things that aren't related to Judaism that allow us to open up the gates, the Jewish floodgates of our soul, so to speak. And so for me, I've also had experiences similar to that, not necessarily with soul cycle, but just with non-Jewish areas of my life where I just felt so opened to something else. And that allowed me to find kind of the true Judaism that fulfills my life today, which I think is so cool. I'm curious, what kind of things did Rabbi Olivia say in your Friday night classes that opened you up spiritually? Firstly, I couldn't agree more with what you just said. I mean, it was, it was soul cycle. And, and also um, there was something called daybreaker as well. I don't know if they have it by you in Canada, but it was, it was like a morning, it's a morning sober rave. Um, that I used to go to oh in gosh. New York and and um, even some other experiences. And, and kind of what you're saying, I, I kept thinking, I know that there are more Jews in this room of a certain demographic than are going to every synagogue across New York on, you know, Shabbos. And, and this is a problem. Like this, there needs to be a way that we can connect. And so that's ultimately, so I appreciate you um, saying that. But you know, I think what was resonant for me from um, Rabbi Olivia, or, <laughs> or Olivia, her name is Olivia Ward. She actually won um, The Biggest Loser. Yeah, I don't know at what, what year, but that she kind of rose to fame, so to speak, huh. in, for that. But 
she just really spoke about how I or how the rider could figure out how to live as their best self. It almost seems like a simple idea, but every class was themed around who you want to become, what you stand for, what your whole, what's holding you back from your past, what scars you're carrying with you, um, and how you're utilizing all of that to be who you want to be and, and, act like you want to act in the world and, and ride your bike. They used to say like, may you live your life like you ride your bike, <laughs> which is a little silly, right? But also, you know, if you just spent 45 minutes pushing yourself and trying out kind of crazy drills on a bike, then that idea of applying that to who you are outside of that room um, resonates and is powerful that when you say those those things that every class was kind of rooted in this idea that how can we make our, ourselves better? How can we live our best lives? How can we be better for the whole world? That's literally what Judaism teaches. And that's what I get so much from Judaism, which is so cool. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think, you know, we've been studying some, um, some theologians or like uh, philosoph Jewish philosophers recently in school and a lot of them especially the more liberal ones talk about this idea that it's only when ourselves are whole and taken care of and in connection with God and then our communities are um, you know whole and feeling um, full that then we can go out and and impact the world and share mm -hmm. our ethics and our values and and what Judaism teaches about how one can live like their best life and and so I think yeah, it does start with us as human beings and then it can radiate out. But we also have to work at that and we have to kind of nurture that relationship and, and foster it. It can't just happen with, without it, which is sometimes I feel liberal Jews today want to just do the like the social justice part without the, the spiritual inner work. Uh, and, and I believe both of those are important mm -hmm. before, before we can really succeed. Yeah, I completely agree. And as an aside, I love spin. I There's no soul, soul cycle here in Ottawa, but there's like spin gyms and I'm obsessed. That's the one thing I miss the most of being in lockdown. I, I would go every single day and I would love to see a Jewish themed ride. That's something I've been wanting forever. I want like a cool rabbi such as yourself to get up there and inspire me on Friday night or over Shabbat and just go there, just ride my heart out. So if you can make that happen, that would be great. <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually have to say, I mean, I appreciate that. I, we have, I have done it before a few times when I used to work in New York at the um, Marlene Meyerson JCC on the Upper West Side. And um, it was a neat experience. They were definitely experiments. And another shameless plug for the um, BBYO, um, the youth movement has an international mm -hmm. convention in a few weeks. And I, recorded almost like a podcast but it's like a a run um type thing that's structured like a a jewish prayer service so so wow. if any teens are listening or you know teens that are going to the bbyo convention or still want to go um you should check that out um at their international convention in a few weeks that's so awesome i did bbyo and i went to oh, really? yeah i went to ic for a couple of years so uh, okay. definitely i hope that someone's listening and they'll go and hear you that's so cool for those of 
you that are listening, as we mentioned right at the beginning of this episode, we actually connected originally through TikTok of all places. And you posted a beautiful TikTok about your experiences and your general perspective on Judaism. And instantly it just really caught my attention and the attention of thousands of people on TikTok because the overarching theme of your video was that Judaism doesn't look a certain way or doesn't have to look a certain way. And same with rabbis or Jewish thought leaders. So can you talk to me a little bit about that and what motivated you to get on TikTok and create videos? Yeah, well, I have to say I that took me totally by surprise that, that people watched the video, that I even made the video. Um, so I didn't know much about TikTok until honestly a few months ago. And uh, I came across someone, I met someone who, uh, her name is Taylor and she is out in LA and she's an aspiring comedian and she makes Jewish comedy TikTok videos. And she said, you know, there really aren't many rabbis on TikTok, like you should really get on. And I kind of laughed and I, but then I also thought that's a great idea. And then, and then I sat on it I'm like, okay, I, I don't really want to <laughs> embark on this. I don't know what it means, but I don't know what TikTok, I know what TikTok is, but I don't really know what TikTok is. And then over my winter break, I was bored on one day and I downloaded TikTok. And then as as it seems like you know, and probably many know, then you get caught in the scroll, <laughs> scroll. But I was amazed by the potential for real content in ways that Instagram and Facebook doesn't really allow and the, the creativity behind it. Like there, there was more talent and, and work behind it than just the way I perceive Facebook and Instagram and some of those to be. So and I didn't see a lot of real Jewish content off the bat. I saw people that were that were talking about Jewish identity, um, but I thought that there this could maybe be a potential to reach people with like real, real raw Jewish content. And so I just kind of tried to make a video, and I didn't know what I was doing, and then posted it, and and it took off in a way. And, and now I'm really trying to figure out what it means to, to use the medium effectively to reach Jews and non-Jews, I guess, and, and teach about how Judaism can fit their lives as, as they are and where they are. That's so cool. I mean, the response to your video was crazy. I, I think I saw it right when you first posted it because as one is always on, t- like uh, constantly on TikTok. Um, but yeah, I think it, it seemed to just really resonate with people. And as we kind of discussed, there was a lot of kind of, there was a lot of reactions, whether positive, whether negative on there, but it seems like that just really, really resonated. And like you say, perhaps because there isn't a lot of that on TikTok. So do you think that people just really were craving that type of healing content, so to speak? I don't really know. (laughs) I mean, I, after it it kind of took off, I think it has like around 48,000 views now or something like that. And, and as it was kind of ticking up, I Googled 
how does this happen? Because I, I didn't really understand why yeah. some people were watching this video. I mean, I think that I found in my month of, of doom scrolling on TikTok that there is all kinds of like real meaningful content, um, like about news, about religion. There's some interesting, there's some rabbis that are already doing things on TikTok. And there are, um, I follow this Muslim couple that is fascinating because they're uh, um, religious Muslims and they, every video is talking about like different laws, more like explaining why they do certain things, why they wear, why they eat. And I, I just find it fascinating. And so I don't, I guess I hope that there is an appetite for it. And I think there is because because I think people are on TikTok and and since they're already on it, I figure that Judaism, both humor and real content should be a part of their TikTok diet so they can keep Judaism in in a forefront in their mind and and, and make it feel relevant and and feel like it's meeting them where they are at that moment, which is scrolling on TikTok. I mean, yeah, I also follow, I mean, maybe it's the same couple. I also follow a bunch of different people like that. I follow, actually, I think TikTok, one of the ways that the algorithm works is based on how, what videos you watch, they curate your feed for you. I TikTok thought for a while, I think that I was um, Muslim because they only were giving me like hijab tutorials and like Muslim videos because as like, as a Jewish person and also as a religion student and as just someone who was fascinated with the world, I had never actually had been exposed to just like Muslim people explaining little things like that, like silly things that to some people that are Muslim would be like kind of obvious. But to me, I was so fascinated. And I think that with Jewish creators, there's a lot of non-Jews who are also fascinated with, with the way that Judaism works because they've never seen that before. Like some of the random Jewish videos I've made, people message me and they're like, this is fascinating. This is so beautiful. Can you explain this more? And they're so intrigued with Judaism. And I'm like shocked that they care. But then I realized that I also care about other religions and I watch other kind of religions videos. So there definitely is a space for meaningful content. And I think that when people scroll, they sometimes don't just want to laugh. They also want to be inspired and they want to be educated and they want the whole kind of gambit. Yeah. It's really, it's amazing to me that people comment and interact with people in ways that I think on other, in my experience on other social media platforms, the people that you're mainly interacting with through comments and things are your friends or people that mm-hmm. are already like bought into you. And, and here it's just amazing. All the people that are asking questions or commenting on other people's posts or just trying to interact. I've gotten like, kind of like you're saying, I've gotten fascinating questions on the, I've only posted, I think five videos and people are asking things. They, I mean, it's like also so Jewish because the last video I posted was about prayer and I was rapping to fill in and mm. um, someone posted that my uh, like the, the Roche piece on the Roche um, your head was too low. And like, <laughs> I just thought it was so funny and like so Jewish that like people are like 
you know, trying to like help slash critique how I'm like wearing to fill in. Um, but so I mean, everything like, I don't know. I find it fascinating that it's a medium that, and that it's that, that people are communicating, but also that it reaches like the reach is so wide. It's kind yeah. of like mind. And people, it's so true. People engage in a way that I have never seen before. They really, even if it's just to say like, this is so inspiring or ha 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 ha, or an emoji or deep and thoughtful questions. It's, that's why I keep telling people who are like still like eye rolling at TikTok. I'm like, no, you're missing out because it's not all just, you know, young people dancing. There's also a lot of really meaningful content there. And that's where a lot of people are living these days. And it's such a missed opportunity because people are open and they're ready and they're just like waiting for the content to come. And all we have to do is create it. No, I couldn't agree more. I think that I was, I'm someone that even though I'm on social media, I was, I kind of resist Judaism moving totally online. And I still do to an extent. Like I still think like, you know, I hope that everything that's migrated online during COVID-19 time, like moves back and more moves back into person because I think that there's so much more power being in person. Yet with that said, I've been on TikTok for a month and I'm already thinking about how it's such a missed opportunity that more content and meaningful content isn't there. And, and I see that not as a replacement for the in-person, but to, but as like an enhancement, because if someone is constantly thinking about Judaism or seeing Jewish videos or like learning about what prayer means on TikTok, I would argue they're more likely than to walk into a synagogue or a Hillel or whatever it may be in the future, because that Judaism and, and that prayer piece or about a holiday or something has been more a part of their mind and their world than than just you know waiting for them to like come to the Jewish organizations without any of that so that is I couldn't agree more that's so true and that's literally my whole hypothesis with this podcast is that if Jewish people see themselves represented in popular media they will want to be more Jewish and they will because you see yourself represented in other people, not just through a couple of token Jews on TV, but through real people living their real Jewish experiences, then you will be able to own your Judaism, whatever that means to you. And I think that TikTok is doing that. So yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with what you just said. I love that. Yeah. And to what you said, like, I think that it's important that it's not just silly. Like Jewish humor is great and has been uh, our way of assimilation and and something that's lifted kept our spirits high and helped and really helped Jews since you know the, the immigration to America and North America you know in the in the mid 19th century or around that time before or after but I do think it's important that people also see Jews as non-funny people, like just as average Jew figuring out their identity, figuring out their life, trying to practice, you know, this holiday or a version of Kashrut or whatever it may be. And, and I agree that TikTok or this podcast or any medium that is promoting that type of Jewish identity is, is 
even more important today than Jewish humor because we need for Jews around the diaspora to really see like Jewish life being modeled and creative in new ways. Absolutely. So speaking of kind of Judaism as integrated into our lives, I feel like something that really resonated from your video was the idea that sometimes Judaism can feel to some people limiting or that it's gatekeeping. Um, And in my opinion, if you look at Judaism with the right lens, if you look at anything with the right lens, Judaism is actually limitless. And when I discovered that, that's when I fell in love with it. And I think that the Jewish tradition can enrich all of our lives so differently when we see it in that way and when we kind of engage with it so deeply. And I'm wondering, as someone who obviously you're confident and you're proud of your Jewish identity, you're in rabbinical school, you've gone through your own journey of soul searching, and what would you say to someone who might be struggling with figuring out how to connect with their Judaism? That's a great question. Um, and I, I wish I had the answer. It's a million dollar <laughs> question for, no, but I do, I do think that there's a couple things. I think that one and maybe first is that people need to recognize that it's a journey and it's constantly evolving and it takes a lot of work. Like you have to want to seek out an identity and a spirituality about in a community for yourself. And you have to actively think about, try things out, out, try different hats on communities that are both Jewish and spiritual in different ways and spiritual opportunities. Like I said, soul cycle and daybreak or anything that you find to be spiritual. I think that's the first piece of work on your own that you need to do. And once you have identified um, the type things that resonate with you, where you maybe see the divine or see holiness or experience holiness, then uh, there's the opportunity to, to take, uh, I think, a step into Judaism and, and discover what resonates with you and discover all sorts of different practices. You know, now, even though I just said I like in-person um, events and, and communities, now that everything is online and probably will be online to stay in many ways, it, it opens so many opportunities for people living all over the world, really, because even if you don't live in a community or a city where, where the synagogue is interesting or there's a dynamic rabbi or leader of sorts, you can find it online and you can find communities. I mean, I, I interned at a synagogue or spiritual community really called Ikar, which in Los Angeles, which is really innovative and, and breaking down the ways that Judaism is practiced. And we have 150 members this year that join from around the U.S. They're called Ikar from afar members. And so here's this whole new population of people that are, don't live in LA. They don't plan to live in LA and they're a part of our community. So, so I think you know, all that to say, I think it both takes like internal work, wanting to do the work and finding out your own self-discovery, who you are, what resonates with you, what makes you tick, where you see the divine, and then trying to really have an open mind and find um, Judaism that, that 
resonates with that. And the last thing I'll say is like for the real, like, you know, spirited and entrepreneurial ones out there, like the Jewish community also loves creation and new and building. And, mm. and so if there's a community in North America, I would say that would support someone financially for, for a Jewish idea. Like it's like the Jewish community. Like if you found, had any idea that you wanted to put out there, I could pretty much bet if it's a, a sound idea and you could attract people that you will get donors and foundations to fund it because they're thirsty for new ideas. That's a good point. I mean, I almost like that because it's like a permission slip. A lot of the time people have ideas or they they can see a better world or a better way and then they are afraid to go forth and do it or they don't realize that they can. So I love that. My kind of last question for you is also one that's like another million dollar question, but what would you say from your experience are some ways to kind of own your Judaism and use Judaism to and make it authentic to who you are? I guess I'll go back to, I mean, it, it may not be an easy answer, but I think one of the first things is you have to, to figure out yourself first. And, and I, you know, there, there is Judaism and there are prayers and texts that can help do that. And, and if you're in a city or you can access online, um, you know, some organizations or, or things that, that are really doing incredible study, Jewish study work, um, then I would say go for that. Um, but I would say that the first step, whether through Jewish means or not, is to figure out like who you are and and what you stand for, not just like what job you do or um, let that be your identity, but think of like as a person who you are, where you see yourself fitting in the world, um, you know, reflecting on what the world should be. Um, and And once you embark on that journey, then I think Judaism, especially now and modern, newer, Jewish organizations and rabbis and leaders are there to kind of pick that up and like really help blossom it and, and color, color in who you are, how you see the world, what you want to do with the world. Um, and there are no easy answers and there's never an end. It's a constantly evolving process. But I think um, for people that want to go on this journey, like they have to first you know, say to yourself and, and do something about going on some sort of Jewish growth and journey. And then I think that if you find the right communities and rabbis and organizations um, paired with your drive, you could really, you could really make something blossom and, and, and make real beautiful life and um, community out of it. Absolutely. I love that. Do you have any kind of final words of wisdom for our listeners as we wrap up? Yeah, I think that, you know, the way that you you talked about the TikTok, that you know, Judaism doesn't look a certain way, it doesn't, especially in 2021. Um, and and I invite the listeners to to really find or create the Judaism that really fits who you are and and what you stand for and who you want to be. And I, I think it exists. 
And I invite you to go after that. And I also invite you to have agency. And if it's not good enough or if it's boring or if it doesn't feel relevant, push the relevant people to make it more relevant or make your own or go to rabbinical school or, or you know, like there's, there's so much potential um, in today's diaspora Jewish world. And so I just invite you and, and bless you to have the, the strength and courage to, to go on this journey of enriching your life and enriching the Jewish community um, at the same time. Amen. This is your permission slip. I love that rabbis just like get to bless people with, I mean, everyone does, but I feel like all rabbis are like, I bless you with this and I love it. (laughs) Thank you. So where can everyone find you if they want to connect with you or read your work or get your insights? Yeah. So on social, on Instagram and on TikTok, um, my handle is SD as in David K. 2086. Um, and so you can find me there. Also, if you want to, if you find me on LinkedIn as well, and you want to message in another way, I'm happy to, to talk, um, to try to forward you to different rabbis or organizations in the communities where you live or online, if, if you're not uh, location specific. That's awesome. That's so kind of you. I hope someone goes out there and finds you on LinkedIn, my favorite social media platform. Thank you so, so much for giving us your time, for being so open, for being thoughtful and vulnerable with us. I really so, so appreciate you coming on. Thank you. And I'm, I'm honored to be here. I, I really appreciate it, Chuck Head, that you invited me. <laughs>